We have a special phone guest today. He's an American political commentator. He calls himself an amateur historian, but I wouldn't really consider him that. He's a podcaster, former radio show host. And Dan Carlin. How you doing, Dan? I'm well. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, you bet. Um, we are. First of all, I have to say how pleased I am that uh, you're talking to us today. Um, I'm a real big fan of yours, and I hope to turn some of our listeners on to you, and they'll become your fans as well. Well, we would love that. You do two podcasts. I'm going to start out first by talking about the one you do more often, which is called Common Sense, and then we'll get right into the hardcore history, which we're going to focus on today. A little bit about Common Sense from, I listen to all of it now. I mean, I started out listening to you with the hardcore history, and then I got involved in the common sense. And I'm telling you, some of the things you uncover, um, it just makes me wonder why isn't anyone doing something about this? Um, can you talk uh, about that? You know, actually, I think that's the most interesting aspect, and we actually talk about that all the time here. Um, we don't understand why no one else is talking about it either, and I feel like it's a real, I mean, on a personal sense, it's a blessing because it's, it's, it's great to have no competition. Mm. Um, in another sense, though, I mean, if you're really worried about some of these problems we talk about, it'd be a little bit more encouraging to think that there was a whole lot more people talking about it. Um, just not talking about things from a typical Republican or Democrat talking point. I think all that stuff's hurting us more than helping us these days. And you'd think you'd see more of that out there in the old mainstream media, but maybe we're benefiting from the fact you don't. Yeah. So I, I just want to tell you, uh, speaking of this podcast in particular, uh, Common Sense it's called, um, I listened to a YouTube earlier. There's a, uh, a podcast that you did back in 2007 when you totally predicted the economic crash that was about to happen. How did you do that? <laughs> well, you know, really that's just a, fu a function of history. I mean... Uh, eventually, I mean, I think we human beings get stuck in this idea that the way things are, are you know, we, we just plan on that. If you go to a meeting with your financial advisor, for example, if you have one, they're going to sit down and they're going to show you a graph of how the American economy has been doing since the Second World War. And, of course, what I always say back to them is, you know, there was an economy before the Second World War. And once you realize that, you see, oh, you know, everything goes up and down in cycles. And just because we haven't had something really bad happen to us, History shows it's going to happen again. So I think I was more siding with history in that sense, just saying, you know, it's like people who said that the tech bubble would never burst with stocks, and you just sit there and go, really? It's going to go on forever? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think we just got lucky in, in predicting a typical cycle that we're always living with. Right, right. Now, do you use a lot of uh, historical events in your thinking when you do that, those particular podcasts? I'm actually stuck that way. I mean, I think we all organize our, our framework for thinking differently. And in my case, I just sort of base everything on history. That's how my mind operates, for better or for worse. I think that gives me other blind spots, too. But we always brought a lot of history into our political current events show. And that's what gave someone else the idea that maybe we could do a history show, too. Um, it wasn't my idea. They just heard a lot of history in our common sense show. So, yeah, I've always used that as sort of one of the foundations that we try to work off of. I was looking at your Wikipedia page, and it says that you're an amateur historian. Now, that just just means that you don't have a degree in history. Is that what is that what it means by that? I do actually have a degree in history. Oh, it's you do? A, it, yeah, it's just a BA, uh, uh -huh. University of Colorado. Uh, and when you want to call yourself a historian, 
uh, by our modern standards, you really should have a PhD. I see. And, and so, and so, I don't want any historians to get mad at me. I, I like to consider myself in the vein of, you know, what they used to call an oral historian. And you uh -huh. can go back and like the minstrels in medieval times, <laughs> or the traditional storytellers that you'll see in tribal societies, where they will relate the stories of the past to the young people, with all its grandeur and drama. You know, people sometimes, you know, the, one of the criticisms I hear about our show is that it's a little melodramatic. And the way I answer that is that I'm specifically choosing topics that are wonderfully dramatic, and I'm trying to sure. get away from the names and the dates and all that and give people a sense for how dramatic these events really were. And so I think that's why, uh, uh, I think that's why the whole thing works. Okay, so well, well, let's jump right into this hardcore history. And, again, uh, that's how I found you. I was actually found your podcast by going into iTunes and just looking for anything history-related. The one thing i got to say about I, I really love the out-of-the-box thinking you have when you're, you're doing your podcast. Do you have to plan way ahead on, uh, on doing a particular podcast? It's a little different for each show. Uh, the Common Sense Show is, is, is a version of a program I used to do on radio, and my lifestyle is almost attuned to it. While I'm reading things, I'm marking and cutting things out. So I've got that kind of down to a science, and that doesn't take that much work. That history show is a lot more uh, labor-intensive, though. We work very hard on it, and it's hard on us mentally. I wish sometimes I had a bigger, you know, like one of those aliens with a giant head who could, who could with an IQ of 300, because sometimes I literally feel like I'm, I'm pushing my mentality to the limits. But, uh, I'm sure yeah, you are. It's, it's, it's a lot of work. And uh, a lot of the stuff you talk about, it just simply couldn't be found in text. Where do you, where do you come up with all this information? You know, I, I, one of the places, because that, that's a very broad question, I'm not sure I have the answer, but I do know that, that when I was a history major back in college, and you would, you would have conversations with the other history majors, this is the kind of weird stuff we would all talk about. I mean, when you're a history geek, there are certain, you know, you can go to our websites out there that discuss things like alternative history. What if the Germans had won the Second World War or something right. like that? That's, that's fascinating. The, yeah, that's all the stuff that history geeks geek out on, and I think a lot of those kinds of thinking are people, you know, history majors will talk about this stuff amongst themselves. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I like the show you did of effects on alcohol and drugs on past events. I mean, that's, that's uh, something I don't think too many people would have ever thought of. It really makes sense. You know, and truthfully, that came from a couple of stories that I had read. Um, one was a question about whether Napoleon had been influenced by taking opium the night before for some painful ailment of his. And there were just a couple of those stories out there like that. And I thought, how weird is it to think that we can talk about how much of an effect things like alcohol or tobacco or anything like that has on our modern culture? But just because the sources aren't telling us about it in the past, I mean, you've got to think that those people were at least as affected as we are. And then sure. you start wondering, well, if they were, does that explain, you know, uh, Napoleon's conduct at Waterloo that day, for example? Yeah, that was, that was a fun one. Hmm. Yeah, that was great. It was great. And another one I really um, enjoyed or, or just never really thought deeply about it, but was slavery. You know, you think about uh, slavery more in contemporary terms when I say contemporary in the last three 300 years, but you, you went way, way back. And the, the, if I can quote you, I believe you said something along the lines of, uh, we all have uh, slaves' blood running through our veins. 
You know, and that was, it was funny because while I was doing the research for that show, and maybe it's because we're here in the United States, and, we're, and, and, and when you talk about slavery, our slavery was so relatively recent in historical times that it still dominates all of our conversation about it, except that it's such an age-old human institution that if you want to sort of give the long view of it, well, most of us have been slaves at one time or another with the way we're all related and, and the way that different societies... I mean, the Romans used to enslave all sorts of people right. we don't think of in the United States as ever, having ever been slaves. And I think, if I'm, you know, it's a while now since we did that show, but I think we were talking about slavery as the original labor-saving device, yes. as we called it, and, mm -hmm. and, and how that once upon a time in caveman times, not quite caveman times, but really early the history of people, slavery may actually have been some sort of a human rights advancement because the way you got slaves was by not killing some prisoner on the battlefield. Mm -hmm. And you'd make a deal with them and say, uh, okay, I won't kill you, but you have to do what I say the rest of your life. Strange <laughs> to think of history as some sort of a human progression in morality or civilization, isn't it? Yes, and I do recall you pointing out that it was a stagnation um, as far as developing um, inventions and things, right? Because they just relied on slaves to do the work. Well, that's the theory. There were all these stories about how, um, for example, in some of the slave areas in South America, they didn't develop water systems and plumbing until later than the surrounding areas because they had slaves to go get the water for them, so there was never any need to be filled. That's fascinating. Right. Now, speaking along those lines, what, what would make someone remain a slave, just fear of being uh, killed, basically? I'm, Boy, I'm, I, think, I think that's a tough question for modern minds. Isn't yeah. it? Um, I, I think, first of all, I think the situation differed in different situations. I mean, the, the ones here in the United States were particularly horrifying and cruel, um, but there are tribal societies where being a slave is sometimes almost like being an extended member of the family, uh, if you were a Greek slave in Roman times and you weren't working in a mine or one of those terrible jobs, you might be employed as a tutor in the household. I mean, it's not a wonderful life per se, but it's not what we always associate with, say, you know, chattel slavery in the U.S. South or something. So maybe that has something to do with it. But even then, Rome had huge uprisings with hundreds of thousands of armed slaves fighting against, you know, Rome's armies at times. So I don't think people always did put up with it. That's amazing, amazing. And then you did a segment on uh, World War II, which I thought, because I know a good part of the 20th century, with at least half of it, I don't think of it as being that brutal, but it really was. Uh, some of the things you point out between the Russians and the Germans were just amazing, the, the way they uh, brutalized each other. I think history is certainly going to record that the 20th century is the most brutal century there ever was. Uh, I mean, it depends on how you measure it, but in terms of, like, overall human suffering, uh, the 20th century was a pretty bad one. And, yeah. yeah, we chose the Eastern Front specifically, the war between the Germans and the Russians, because most of us here in the United States don't focus on that. We like to focus on our involvement, and, you know, conversely, the Russians like to focus on their involvement. But it's a whole part of that war that if you took it out of the context of the Second World War, just the, what we call the Eastern Front, that's like the biggest war in history all by itself. Right, right. It was a massive amount of people, and, and it was a war to the absolute finish in a way that I don't think the United States, I don't think we've ever fought a war like that, where it was a war to the absolute finish. And on the Eastern Front, you really got a chance to see what man's inhumanity to man means. 
Right. Right. A, a lot of times I think you get into these real brutal subjects, but, you know, that's that's what war was. It was very cruel and, and brutal. I guess that's one of the things that fascinates me about it, is the extremes of human experience. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I can't enjoy fiction anymore, because <laughs> it's one thing to sit in your house and write about the extremes of human situations. It's another thing to read about people that actually had to live through it. Right. Now, what do you have uh, on the horizon coming up? Uh, I'm stuck in a long series we're going to probably do on the fall of the Roman Republic, and it's following a typical pattern with me where I completely pick a wrong topic that's going to be too big that I'm never going to be able to do and finish. (laughs) And so I've just done it again, so I figure I'm trapped for a while here in this Roman Republic stuff. Wow. And uh, do you have people helping you with the research you do on this? That's classified information. Uh, I don't don't blame you. (laughs) I'll just just say that it's no more than one, if it is indeed one. And it's not Ben, right? (laughs) I can't say anything about that. (laughs) I I was going to ask you about Ben, but yeah, I know. he's. Everybody wants to know. I'm sorry. Uh, Dan, let's talk a little bit about your discussion board. Um, That's a very active active site, yes? You know, and and, and having no experience with it, I'm, I'm a little surprised by how it's turned out. I have to say that... Sometimes I feel like a parent where you almost feel like, you know, you've created something that's going to go off on its own to college now and have its own life because the people that have gone to the discussion board have made this wonderful place to be in terms of if you want to discuss political events or things in an atmosphere with a wide variety of people who try to be uh, somewhat polite and nice. Um, that has little to do with me, and yet you know, hmm. here we host this thing. It's, it's, that's a fun development as part of the new media. So it's just okay? taken off on its own, really. Now, yeah, um, well, we helped it along initially like mm-hmm. a kid, but, I mean, now it's the people who are there that make it what it is. Right, right. Now, one thing I know from experience when I'm uh, talking on these podcasts or when I'm doing anything, even when it comes to cataloging, antiques, you name it, people love to... Uh, Certain people, I should say, love to pick out, out your mistakes. Does that that must happen? Oh yeah. Well, well, listen. There's no question about that. I mean, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, we get, of course, we get tons of email from people. You mispronounce this. You oh yeah. That right. I don't think you. And offering tons of advice and all kinds of things. I mean, that comes with the territory. Well, I talked to uh, a guy that does historical maritime paintings. And when he's doing a painting of the harbor, he tries to research even erosion on the shoreline and everything to get it just right. And he says uh, sometimes someone will will contact him and say the building was over, looks like maybe three or four feet to the left a little bit. You know, (laughs) they'll just pick apart everything. So, yeah, it's interesting. Well, especially if you try to just talk and not have everything written down. You're going to make mistakes just by the sheer nature of, you know, we're all people and things come out wrong and your choices are to, you know, just continue to focus on perfection or to sit there and say, listen, the audience knows what people do and most people aren't bothered by that stuff. Hopefully, I have my fingers crossed. Mm -hmm. Now, you've had a couple of of good interviews yourself that you've talked to people. Uh, Burke was on the phone, right? Oh, yeah, he was great. I mean, if you talk about people that... Uh, I'd pay money to sit and have lunch with that guy, James Burke. He's, he's, he's as high on my list as anybody. Yes, yes. And I heard you mention Shelby Foote the other day. He he was a person I would have loved to have listened to. Yes, I have a I have a soft spot in my heart for all those kind of people. If if only because, you know, I mean, you sit there and Shelby Foote, I mean, think of the stories he'd be able to relate, uh, the great Civil War historian. And not just that, it's not just that they can relate all this stuff because they have the knowledge but the way that they convey it to you, yes. 
is, is you know, you're, you're wrapped attention the whole time by their style. Yeah, he was my favorite in uh, Ken Burns' uh, series. Yeah, me too. Yeah, he was great. He was great. Now, have you ever uh, considered doing anything like the American Revolution or anything like that or, or the Civil War? Or do you think those are just touched on too often? Well, you know, part of the problem of doing things, and people request things all the time, and they think I have knowledge enough to take their request and actually turn them into a program. But everything we talk about on the show is something that I already have a certain base amount of knowledge off of. Otherwise, there'd be no way to educate myself enough to do the podcast within the time limit. So when people bring up something like the Civil War, I know there's a ton of people who'd love to hear that. It's just not a, not a subject that I'm strong enough in to do a good enough job to meet anyone's expectations. So I'm limited by my own limitations like that. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure if you did something like that, you'd probably take your typical approach. Well, the fun, I mean, the fun, you know, when you're talking about events like this, the word fun doesn't really fit. But <laughs> the, fun part, the fun part about civil wars is that there's always, and we'll get into this in the, in the one on the Roman Republic that we're doing now because there are a bunch of civil wars in that too. The interesting part is to look at the brother versus brother aspect or right. how, how, in, how, how unbelievably repressed these people are in terms of being angry at their own countrymen and how that sometimes comes out in what happens. And truthfully, the U.S. Civil War was gentlemanly compared to things like the Roman one. Oh, really? Wow. Well, they had scores to settle. Believe me, politics turned deadly violent in the, uh, in the Roman Republic. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm just going to ask, do you, do you collect anything yourself? Because I know you collect books, don't you? Yes, well, I, I, my wife would say obsessively collect them. <laughs> I, just feel like, I just feel like I buy them and never throw them away. I don't know if that's collecting or not. But <laughs> de I definitely have a bit of a book fetish, I guess. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Other things as well or just books? Well, you know, people send me stuff. Um, really? And it's amazing. A lot of them are German. For some reason, German listeners feel like they need to send you stuff, and I'm glad they do because I'll get all these little historical knickknacks mm -hmm. from people. The wow. Last guy, yeah, the last guy sent me a little piece of a broken clay, you know, those, those big clay jars with the narrow necks that in ancient times would hold wine or olive oil or something. Mm -hmm. I guess there's a big site in uh, in North Africa or something where where these things are all piled up in giant garbage from ancient times and so he got me one of the ones that's 2400 years old or something stamped by an archaeologist and that sits on my shelf it just looks like a broken piece of trash you never know how old the human hands were it's the oldest thing in my community probably <laughs> now and that is a side benefit to, to what we do Sure, sure. Now, how did you, when you first took the leap out of radio, jumping into doing this on the Internet, were you a little nervous at first? Well, it, it, that, that's harder to, to point out because I got into radio years ago when radio was a really good profession for the host to be in. And while I was in it, got to watch it decline to a place where... You know, radio wasn't really very much fun to do anymore. And so I was looking, as a lot of other people were too, for, okay, how can I continue to do what it is I do and do it in a way different from what corporate radio has become? So hmm. I was looking, for me, it revitalized me. I was looking at not continuing radio at all just because of what it has become in terms of creativity or the latitude you would have to try new and different things. Uh, I felt really stifled by that. And once you got the opportunity to do podcasting, it was like getting a blank white 
you know, creative board to start playing on. No rules, no one you had to go, uh, mm-hmm. you know, confirm what you wanted to do with. No, no judge who had to say this is or isn't good enough to show to an audience. I mean, I, I felt the whole thing was uh, revitalizing. Wow, wow. I think a few other people share that. We had Adam Carolla on here a while back, and, you know, he's, he had, I believe he has the number one podcast that there is. I'm pretty sure he does, or one of them. You know, he's really taken this thing and taken off with it, you know, and I think it's a, a great idea. And uh, that's kind of how I got into it. You know, there was no one doing anything on um, auctions and antiques and art and stuff like that. All in one, you know, there was one guy focusing on, like, eBay auctions and stuff like that. So might as well try it, right? And, now, and, and what ends up happening after a while, you you create your own little digital space, you know, where, where you're, you become the auction guy. And it becomes part of, mm-hmm. you know, if people want to listen to a podcast, you're, you're known, you're the one with the reviews, you're the one. I mean, that's what we're really enjoying. We compared it to the Oklahoma land rush once. <laughs> and early on, we thought, okay, it's just about going and finding your little space in the Internet world and then defending it, you know. Yeah. So we have our little history space and our little politics and current events space. You have your auction space. That was a uh, the Oklahoma land rush. I saw something on that one time where they just the line came down at twelve noon and they all just ran and grabbed their spot. Right? Listen, can you imagine if we could do that again today? Oh, that'd be awesome. Be a lot of happy people. <laughs> yeah, we could probably do it like in uh, somewhere we wouldn't want to be. Still. Well, well, and listen, Oklahoma at the time was a little uh, hostile and dangerous, and those people weren't going to have an easy time of it. But free land is free land, isn't it? Right. Right. Do you have like? Oh, a year from now, I'm going to get into this type of uh, historic uh, podcast or anything like that. I mean, how how far? I know I'm jumping around here, but but how far in advance do you have things planned? Well, part of the problem is we go so slowly that, that I mean, it takes us so long to do each episode, and then I'll do these multi-part episodes. So all you have to have is five or six things planned, and you're you're looking at the next two years or something. So. I, I have a lot of great stories to tell, and they're all you know, super dramatic, and they fall along similar lines, I think, to what we, we've done already. But someday I'd like to do the Crusades, or at least the, the first Crusade. And I always like to try to pick something where it tries to shed a little light on the current situation, if possible. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think the Crusades would be fun. But to me, that's just like jumping into another black hole, just like all these other subjects that are really too big to cover. You end up, when you add up all these episodes we did, unlike that German-Russian podcast you talked about, I mean, that becomes like a mini-book after a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, I mean, you're really almost doing a serialized book. And so I'm still learning, I think, how to do the history podcast and what they are. I mean, the, the, the political one is so much more like radio or a regular podcast. It's easier to understand. We don't even know still what the plan is with hardcore history, but certainly I'll get to the crusades at some point. Now, I know um, I wait patiently. Every It's about every two months, right, for hardcore history? It is, and, and, and everybody gets on me. I'm, <laughs> I'm really in everybody's doghouse all the time. <laughs> you just get emails from people like, where is it, where is it? Yeah, I, I get I get people that just go. I got one the other day where somebody just sent me an email, and all it said was it had no actual message. It was just a subject line said when with a big exclamation point. <laughs> you know? So hey, listen, those are blessings, though, right? I mean, yes. they could be saying, "Don't give me any more." And then where would we be? Right, right. Now, do you uh, do you have you must have listeners worldwide? Yes. 
Yeah, I know, but you, say, you were saying earlier you get things from Germany. So um, places you would think of other languages, you know, you're still getting people listening to all over. I, I know I have one listener in Korea, but I can't think of any other, um, you know, language uh, barrier countries at this you know point. No, I think that's one of the things that, makes it, that would make it hard to go back and do traditional radio again because you feel like once you've been broadcasting to potentially anywhere, you know, if you go back on a radio somewhere, you're only reaching as far as the transmitter reaches. I've become, you know, I, I'm enjoying being able to talk to anybody anywhere. It's a real, it's a real cool thing. I did a show once where I was talking about Nigeria, and I, I, was, I was talking about corruption, and I said that if the United States isn't careful, someday we'll be like, oh, I looked at the corruption list online, and Nigeria was down at the very bottom. So I said, we might be like Nigeria. And then I said, my apologies to any Nigerian listeners, to my three Nigerian listeners, and I got an email from a guy who said, okay, I'm Nigerian, and I listen with my Nigerian friend, and all I want to know is, who's the third Nigerian listener? <laughs> <laughs> and when that happens, you think, oh, Going back to radio, even if you were in New York City, would be like a demotion after that. It seems like. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. So where do you think the future of all this is going, podcasting? Well, you know, I get a little scared. I tend to be a little conspiratorial and pessimistic, so take this with a grain of salt. <laughs> but I get a little scared about all the net neutrality questions because for most people, that sort of stuff doesn't mean anything. But for podcasters, that's, I mean, when they talk about slowing down delivery of some kinds of content. I mean, we're the kinds of content you're talking about, the people that don't pay them a lot of money. Mm. So uh, I've become a little worried about things like that for the future of podcasting. I think without those kinds of problems, the future of podcasting is unlimited, and you're going to see more and more niche markets served. I was telling my wife the other day, it won't be very long before every school has their own podcast. You, know, you can keep informed on what's going on there in every little league league, and they'll talk about what happened in the most recent games and what you can get at the snack stand on sale. You're going to see podcasts reaching into narrower and narrower, more niche markets. And that's if, you know, like I said, if, if things don't happen at a higher level with the rise of Google and Quest and AT&T that, that, that hurt the ability of us to get our podcast to our audience. Wow. Yeah, it's just going to be, like, diluted. Almost like that. Or, 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 or like, you know, I, I saw once where they said that the, the regular public Internet will just be this ad-late thing where nobody wants to go unless you have to. And, you know, the people that will be able to deliver podcasts at a reasonable speed will be like ESPN and the New York Times, and it'll take 18 hours to get mine or yours. Oh, Wow. I don't know if that'll really happen, but we talk about my paranoid fears. It's not, that's what I'm afraid of. Well, let's look back in history. Has anything like that happened in history? <laughs> yes. Um, actually, uh, I look at radio. You know, radio, when it first came out, um, you used to be able to walk with a transmitter. And it was this giant, big, bulky backpack-looking thing. But you could walk around with a transmitter on your back and broadcast. And, you know, you had a range of, like, three or four miles, which in a place like New York City, you'd have an audience. And they had to make those illegal because they crossed over. Once you sold legitimate signals to legitimate radio stations, you couldn't have all these guys with radio backpacks, you know, transmitting and screwing up your signal. Hmm. So once upon a time, radio was like the Internet. Wow. Yeah, back up. Wasn't it Armstrong and all those guys doing different things with radio? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, Dan, one, one of the questions I had when I was thinking of... Uh, after I listened to your, your podcast, 
it seems like you're totally saying everything right off the cuff, like you don't have any papers you're looking at, um, and it's just a, a very good oration. Is that is that kind of what you do? You just think of what you're going to say, and you just you just talk. For the for the for the common sense show, that is what I do. That is what you um, do. Mm-hmm. Yes, and for the for the history show, I don't know that we've even got that down to the science. I don't know that we have a specific method. We do it all the time. A lot of times, I try to just start talking and go as far as I can before the narration hits a snag, and then we'll usually save that, and then I'll try to pick up where we stopped and keep going, and then we edit those things together. Oh, I see. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Up in front of me, probably not in front of you, um, I have the list of the the Hardcore History episodes that you had. I'm just going to uh, touch a little bit on them, and you can just tell me a little bit about what they were about, if that's okay. Sure. Okay, we'll start all the way back. Um, I tried to find your earlier podcasts, and I couldn't find them on iTunes, but all the way back to uh, episode number one. Alexand- uh, this is the title topic, Alexander versus Hitler. That was the first one we ever did. Not quite sure what we were trying to do either. If you notice, <laughs> it's only 15 minutes long, and ah. now they're like these mammoth productions. I think I thought I'd be able to just whip out one of these shows every week or two. And uh, I think what you really hear is almost our our treatment. If you were going to try to sell the show to a TV network, that's like an example of one of our shows when we didn't know what the heck we were doing. Uh-huh. Yeah, my first show was really, really bad. I hope no one even listens to it, actually. Well, and you know, not that it's so bad, but that we didn't know what we were trying to. I mean, I always say that each podcast is like a TV series, and it takes a few shows, sometimes it's like 10, to evolve into what you're going to be. And, you know, that's the same is true, certainly, for Hardcore History. All right, now I'm just going to go through a couple and pick out a couple more. Um, let's see. Romancing the Tribes. Uh, that, was a, that was a show where we found two figures. Uh, that One was a, uh, an Indian chief named Tecumseh. Right. Uh-huh. Another was a, a Celtic leader named Berkin Gedderick. And the similarities... I mean, these guys live centuries apart, and yet both of them try to rally tribesmen around to resist, you know, the threat of, you know, the Gallic chieftain was worried about the Romans, and the Indian chieftain was worried about the American expansion. And so these were two guys who lived a millennia apart, but that seemed to be the same person reborn. Almost. Wow. We had fun comparing and contrasting those two guys. See, that's what I'm talking about when I say that uh, you have such an interesting take on... Uh parts of history and i think that's what i find the most fascinating and while i'm giving you a little praise i also like the way you uh, you ask questions on your on your podcast well, you, you pose very, very a, pose a question <laughs> that's really cool. oh, yes. and the question asking i mean that's just because i don't know uh i, I mean I, I think it's one of the freedoms of being a fan rather than an expert I think if you're an expert, saying you don't know doesn't sound that good. I obviously have no problem saying it because I really don't know. So I think, <laughs> I think it makes asking questions easy sometimes. Uh-huh. Okay, and number eight was Scars of the Great War. Ah, that's the one we did. You know, actually, that, that, we did that about the First World War, and I thought about it because I remember a class from college where we were learning about it, and the professor brought in slides of, of medical um, photographs taken are people who were injured in the First World War. And there are these black and white pictures that are absolutely unbelievable. I mean, one was, and I don't even know how that 
guy live. It literally showed a guy who had a hole through his head. You could see what was behind him. Oh. And he was fine walking around in the 1920s, but it was his war wound. And those people were all walking around Europe at this time like living reminders of that terrible, terrible First World War. And so we went into sort of the overtones of this thing without really getting into the war itself very much. Wow. You could really see through that guy, huh? It yeah. was the most unbelievable photo like, like, like that I've ever seen. Wow. Isn't that something? And then you get into the Bronze Age, and number nine, Darkness Buries the Bronze Age? That's the story about these invasions. Um, the Bronze Age is one of those periods where, you know, human civilization spiked up for a while on the civilization graph, and then it came to an end rather abruptly, and you can almost see all the little lights twinkling out in these civilizations as some sort of malevolent force moves across the map from either north to south or west to east, and no one really knows what happened. So we were talking about uh, some of the theories and some of the records that did exist and what it must have been like, and of course, asking a bunch of questions. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Punic Nightmares, that was a very good, good one. There was a series of three. That was the first one where we started getting into real trouble, though, because it becomes <laughs> a multi-part episode. Yes. And, and it turns what was, I mean, you know, putting a podcast together, anyone who's done it knows, is a little like a chess game when you're putting all the pieces together and making it all work. That turned it into like a three-dimensional chess game because you had to remember what was going on in the first episode when you were still doing the third and make it all work. Um, I'm glad you liked it. That one was a, I still hurt, I think, somewhere from that one. <laughs> took a lot out of you, huh? Yes, I'm permanently scarred. <laughs> well, Dan, this is great. Now, I just want to ask you, do you have time to do anything else besides these podcasts? Um, I have to honestly say, I've never been as busy as I am now. and It's one of those deals where you enjoy it, so it makes it a lot easier. But I never had a job, either when I was in news or radio or anything, where I've worked as many hours as I work now. And there's so, and you'll know, there's so much to this that the average person doesn't see because they just consume the podcast that keeps you and keeps me and keeps all the other podcasters hopping all the time behind the scenes. So I have no time. You have no time. But um, you, you really, you can tell you really enjoy doing it. That's well, something I think that it comes goes back to your question about radio a lot. I mean, I think I enjoy doing it. I mean, I know podcasters who are hoping to get a radio gig out of their podcast, and I always feel sorry for them because they don't know what. They, I mean, they're in the better they're they're in the better place now. And I think that if, if there is any enthusiasm, it's the fact that this is a really fun place to be in a creative sense right now. And by the way, I encourage any of your audience members who's ever been thinking about doing anything like this. It's tough. It's a lot of work. But there's a lot of really satisfying parts to it. And if you want to do it, I'd do it now before the, before the net neutrality shuts us all down. <laughs> For the lack of net neutrality. Right, right. Okay, Dan. Well, uh, let's give out your, your website. Uh, just go to dancarlin.com. You can get uh, the current shows, the old shows, pretty much everything we do sort of headlines there. Or you can always go to iTunes. iTunes and Podcast Alley and there's... On and on and on it goes. Well, and, uh, and listen, uh, uh, I'm glad to see you're, you guys are going strong. I mean, I really root for the podcasters. Yes. Well, thank you. And uh, it's been a real pleasure, Dan. This is Martin Willis with Dan Carlin, and we're signing off. 